very good morning to one and all. Welcome to the Sunday service of Free Community Church uh, and a very happy Pride Month. I think yesterday was Pink Dot and if you have been there, I think it's always very heartening for people to see the LGBTQ community and also the straight communities coming together to celebrate. And for people who are maybe in the beginning of their journey or even till now, you feel that you are an outsider, seeing an event like that is always very uh, heartwarming. So as Pink Dot carries on every year, uh, may we continue to support this uh, initiative and continue to support uh, the right to love and the right for family to exist. Now, as we gather here today, let us prepare our hearts with a call to worship. Drawn by God's presence, we gather. Inspired by God's spirit, we, we worship. Empowered by God's grace, we live. We are community, embraced, embraced by, by the mystery of God's love for all creation. We are a community that looks for the light of Christ, the, the light that, that shines in every time, every place, and every life. Within this dynamic community, we foster connections and experiences that brings meaning to life and help us face the issues of the day. Together, we strive to live with loving hearts, open minds, and hands extended to all. Welcome home. Amen. So now let us join the worship team for a time of worshipping together. Let's sing, you can take my dry bones, breathe life into it. You can take my dry bones. Bring life into this skin You call me by name You raise me to life again You can calm the oceans Speak peace into my soul Take me as I am Breaking the chains of me. 
If I could rewrite your story of love for me, I would not forget those moments of doubts. If I could rewrite your story of love for me, I would not erase those times of struggle, those moments of doubting myself. And blaming you for all my brokenness. Those moments I wrestled myself, and you for the answers, for a little hope. Then I will remember when you became real to me, when you would not turn away. When you would not turn away, I will remember. I am an anchor of love. I am a beacon of hope for you. Your story of love for me. I would not forget those moments of doubts. If I could rewrite your story of love for me, I would not erase those times of struggle, those moments of doubting myself. And blaming you for all my brokenness, those moments I wrestled myself, and blame you for the answers, for a little hope, then I will remember when you became real to me, when you would not turn. To you, and so I saw that I was born free. When you touched me on my side, when my eyes were open to you, and so I saw that I was born free. Then I will remember when you became real to me. When you would not turn away, when you would not turn away, I will remember. I am an anchor of love. I am a beacon of hope for you. I will remember. I will remember when you became real to me. When you would not turn away. When you would not turn away, 
Let's now come to God in prayer. God, our Creator, indeed, you are our beacon of hope in life. Looking at the media coverage for the past month, there are two news that seem so different and yet so similar. One is the death of five lives on the Titan submersible. And the other is a loss of lives of the migrant ship capsized, seeing off the coast of the coast of Greece, where six hundred plus lives were lost. When we are reading this news, we look at the five people who were able to spend tens of thousands of dollars for an adventure of their life, whereas the other group have to leave their families behind to etch out a living in order to survive. And when we look at the media coverage, we do know that it is an unbalanced coverage, for they seem to place more emphasis on which lives are more worthy. And yet, God, we know that in you, we are all the same. We are made of the same ingredients, and we are all your creation. God, as we see this, may we remember to not let society place values onto the lives, but to be able to see the image of you in each and every one of us. That regardless of the social and economic status, regardless of where we are born, regardless of where we are in life at this moment, that we see you and that we see the love of you in all of us. God, we know that on this earth nothing will be equal and nothing will be just but that you have called upon us to live a life obedient to your calling. And though this may be a difficult path, may we continue to gather strength from you to walk along this path. God, we also pray for those among us suffering from illness, or maybe some of our close ones are suffering from illness, that your peace and your love may rest upon them. That in this period of discomfort, in this period of angst, 
that your presence will be felt by them. We continue to pray for your healing upon these people. And we lift up everything to you in the precious name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.
every breath I take, I'll give thanks to God above. For as long as I shall live, I will testify to So good morning and welcome to FCC and happy Pink Dot Weekend, happy Pride Month. So this morning, as before we go into the sermon, I just wanted to invite you to get onto menti.com. Uh, it's something that we use uh, each Sunday uh, so that we can interact during the sermon time so you don't have to just keep listening to me. I'd love to hear from you. And today we have a couple of really... Um, well, I hope interesting uh, questions that I hope that you'll participate in. Uh, some that are very easy as well, that you don't have to like, write a lot. So um, you can get on to, with the QR code, or you can type in fcc.li slash menti, and it'll take you to the slide presentation for today. All right. Will you pray with me as we begin this morning? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, God, earth maker, pain bearer, life giver, whose love for us is beyond compare. Amen. So today is Pink Dot uh, Weekend. And I just want to say a big thank you to all of you who came uh, yesterday for Pink Dot. And also for those of you who served at your various booths and in various capacities. And just wanted to say thank you for showing up. For me, I am committed to showing up at Pink Dot because I remember the first time I attended Pink Dot many years ago. It was amazing to see the entire Honglin Park filled with people who are like me and families, loved ones, allies who stand with the LGBTQ plus community. And I choose to continue showing up because there are many who may not have a supportive family or community. And Pink Dot perhaps is that one time in the year that they get to experience what it's like to belong to a community that embraces them for who they are. Of course, there are many other reasons why Pink Dot is still needed. The repeal of 377A is just the first step in our long journey towards equality. Equality in the workplace, in educational spaces, housing, healthcare, media representation. Those are all still areas that could be improved on in Singapore. And I think as the only LGBTQ affirming church in Singapore currently, I believe it's important for us to show up. The question of whether to attend Pink Dot is no longer so much for our personal benefit, although there is. I mean, you'll see some of our little families within our communities there, and I'm so glad I was there because I could be with them to support them. But for those who need to see representation of a faith community, of a God who loves and embraces them wholeheartedly, and that's why we show up. We're in the midst of a, our sermon series, Wholeheartedly. 
And this week and next week, I'll be preaching. So it'll be a two-parter uh, that is interconnected. Okay. Ah, I forgot to show you my happy pink dot. <laughs> and so the two-parter is today's on worthy of love, and next week will be wholeheartedly authentic and free. So I'll just start this morning by just asking you this question. Do you believe wholeheartedly, with your whole heart, that you are worthy of love? Just want you to think about that just for a minute. Right? Don't be so quick to say yes or no. We'll go into the first question for today is, what do you think makes someone worthy of love? What do you think makes someone worthy of love? It's a word cloud. You can just type in a one word, a phrase. What do you think makes someone worthy of love? Is it qualities about them that makes them worthy of love? Mm-hmm. So interesting. Thank you so much for all your different answers. The first answer just popped out just now was selfless, right? It's like, yeah, you know, you would think that, yeah, someone who's selfless, that would be someone worthy of love, right? But I see a lot, right? Able to be vulnerable, um, able to listen, able to care, authenticity, compassion, sincere, true, beauty, yeah, right? Yeah, if someone's more beautiful, usually they're more worthy, right, of love. Character, anyone who isn't evil, right? If they're evil, then eh, maybe not, right? <laughs> you see a couple of big ones, right? You see child of God, right? Being a child of God just makes you worthy of love. You see also two other big words, right? I love the word nothing. Nothing makes you worthy of love. Okay, interesting one, right? And then you see imago Dei which actually means image of God. Does us being made in the image of God alone make us worthy of love? Mm. I love that those three are actually the three biggest ones, right? Because at the heart of it, at the core of it, it's true that nothing makes us worthy of love as in you see all the periphery of things, right, that are surrounding those three big ones? You see how we have a lot of different things that come to our mind. And that's very normal, right? When we think about what makes someone worthy of love, we think about a lot of things. You know, is a person kind? Is a person compassionate? Is a person evil? You know, maybe they're less worthy of love if they're evil. I mean, that's very real in our minds. And so it takes a lot for us to really grapple with this, about thinking about our own worthiness of love and thinking about other people's worthiness of love as well. So let me ask you, do you think love has to be earned? Technically, you will say no, right? But I think the world teaches us that love must be earned that we somehow have to do something, somehow have to strive, be a certain person to be loved. But you know, love in its purest form, love in its original form, could never be earned or lost. 
And the original form is God, right? God is love. And so today I want to read you a story from the Gospels. It's probably a familiar story to many of you, so I want to do it slightly differently. Instead of projecting the passage uh, onto the screen for you to follow along, I want to read this to you and invite you to listen. Just listen. Listen carefully and pick out a word or phrase that really stands out to you or that resonates with you. If it helps you to listen better and to visualize the story as you go along, please feel free to close your eyes, make yourself comfortable, but just take time just to listen to this story from Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32. The parable of the prodigal and his sibling. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two children. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the wealth that will belong to me. So the father divided his assets between them. And a few days later, the younger child gathered all he had and traveled to a distant region. And there he squandered his wealth in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that region and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that region who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pots that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your child. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your child. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this child of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And he began to celebrate. Now, his elder child was in the field and as he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your sibling has come back, and your father has killed the fetid calf because he has got him back safe and sound. And then he became angry and refused to go in, and his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command, and yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this child of yours comes back, 
who, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And then the father said to him, Child, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this sibling of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. So as you were listening to this account, this story, what word or phrase stood out to you? What word or phrase kind of just lingered with you when you were listening to this story? I know many of you have heard this story before. It's usually called the story of the prodigal son. What came to your mind and your heart when you were listening to this story? Lost but found. And that was repeated two times, right? I am not worthy to be called your child. No longer worthy. Was dead. Yeah. Sandals. Mm. Best robe. Right. Forgiveness. Jealousy. Yeah. You've, you, the word jealousy doesn't actually appear in the story, but it was very evident, right? <laughs> it was very strong, right? Dissatisfaction, yeah. Even the servants, right? Even the servants eat better than me and I'm starving, right? The wisdom of the Father, everything I have is yours. Yeah. <laughs> Office politics. Did that appear in the story? But definitely so, right? It's very similar, right? <laughs> the comparison, the rivalry, the fighting, growing into maturity, I still love you. I hope that stood out for you too in this story. I still love you. The redemption arc. Uh, all of you uh, have a lot of uh, very nice big words for it, right? Oh, I see the Chinese word, I. Yes, yes. And I hope that you see that too, that at the core of the story, it is about love. So many words and phrases come to mind, right? Some words and phrases that come from the passage itself, but some words and phrases that actually come from your heart, from your soul, that arises in your mind when you hear this story. Even phrases like, welcome home. Because it's exactly what this story was about, was that lavish welcome home. It wasn't just a petty kind of welcome, oh, you come home already, yeah? Hmm? Oh. Eat la, eat la. <laughs> yeah, that's welcome home also. La, oh. But welcome home got like different degrees, right? You have the petty welcome, like, oh, finally. Eh? <laughs> Starving and welcome, then come home. <laughs> oh, you have that lavish welcome, right? Take my best food for you. Make sure that you know that you are more than loved, 
overwhelmingly loved, overwhelmingly embraced. Right? There were three phrases that stood out for me when I was reading this passage of scripture. Many of what you said, you know, was very um, resonant for me as well. But these three phrases was some that you said, I am no longer worthy to be called your child. And that was what the younger child felt, right? What he realized after all that had happened. And that's what he said of himself, I am no longer worthy. The second phrase was filled with compassion. Filled with compassion. And the third phrase was, you are with me always and all I have is yours. So let's start with the first one. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, your child. You see, when the younger child realized what he did was wrong, he came back and said to his father, I am no longer worthy. What thoughts and feelings did you have? Did you feel that his statement was a bit strange? Or did you agree with him? You're like, yeah, not worthy, really. Because for me, I didn't think his statement was strange. In fact, I agreed with the younger son when he said he was unworthy. I mean, at least he finally realized, right, he's unworthy after the callous way that he treated his father, after the way that he just took his money and just left. That's how someone like him should feel, right? He doesn't deserve his parents' love or forgiveness. And he, certain doesn't, he certainly doesn't deserve the lavish celebration that his father threw on his return. Maybe a petty welcome can now. But that lavish celebration, I mean... So I can understand why the elder sibling reacted the way he did. It all seems so unfair, don't you think? Why treat such an ingrate so kindly and so lovingly, so generously, so extravagantly? And it's okay if we think that way because that's what we've been taught by the world. Love has to be earned somehow. And we can become worthy or unworthy of love because of the way we act. And in the same way, our notion of God's love is based on the idea that it can be earned. Subconsciously, we think we can become worthy or unworthy of God's love based on our behaviour, or worse, based on who we are. But you know, we are wrong. I am wrong, and the younger sibling got it wrong, and the elder sibling got it wrong too. We are wrong. We all tend to get this wrong because we often connect our worthiness with how hard we strive, how well we perform, even in love, right? Even when we try to love. And Jesus told this parable because he wanted to challenge our mistaken notions about worthiness and to show us what it really means to be loved by God. That God's love cannot be earned or lost no matter what we do or don't do, period. God's love cannot be earned or lost. And we know this intellectually, I think for many of us as Christians, we know this because we've heard this many times. But this is actually hard for many of us to accept wholeheartedly because 
We live in a world that tells us we need to strive for love, to seek approval, or to act in ways that you, so that you can be accepted. And we live in a shame-based society where people often try to shame others into good behaviour. Have you experienced that before? Many of us experience that as children, and we might even do it to other kids as well, right? We all have experienced shame in one way or other. Among her many other titles, Brene Brown calls herself a shame researcher. And she says, shame is universal. It's true for all of us. It's one of the most primitive human emotions that we experience. And as long as we have the capacity for connection and empathy, we will have shame. Because shame is the fear of disconnection. So she says shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging and connection. Have you experienced shame before? Basically, it's that painful feeling of believing that we are somehow unworthy of love, of belonging, of connection. And as someone who is LGBTQ+, I have experienced what it feels like to think that I was unworthy of love, of belonging, of connection. But even if you are not and do not identify as LGBTQ+, as long as you are human, you would have experienced the pain of shame before. And then there's guilt, which sounds like quite a similar thing to shame, right? But they're actually two very different things. And the difference between shame and guilt is very important for us to distinguish because it can end up either helping us greatly or harming us. So to put it very simply, shame is I am a bad person. Right? While guilt is I did something wrong. Okay. So just to help us kind of really understand this, right? Let's try this, okay? Imagine you failed a test, right? What is the first thing that you tell yourself? Okay? The first thing that comes to your mind, your self-talk, right? Is the first thing that you tell yourself, I'm so stupid. I am such a loser. Why I fail my test? Ayo. Or is it yeah, I should have studied a little harder, maybe paid a little bit more attention. Perhaps then I would have done better, right? What is the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? I say first thing, right, because that is our instinctive thing, right? Maybe after a while, you sit down, you go like, oh, okay, okay. You can tell yourself the more rational thing, right? But the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay? Cool. Right? So seven of you... Said, the first thing is to say, ah, I'm so stupid, lah. how come I can feel that test, right? And, and a little bit more of you say that ah, I should have studied a little harder, paid more attention. Great. Right? Does your self-talk, and this is just an example, right, a test, but there's many other things that happen in our life all the time. What's going on in your mind, right? Does your self-talk focus more on your behaviour? or more on your personhood, on who you are as a person, 
That's the distinction between guilt and shame. So why is this important? Okay, let me just show you. Because if we are more shame-prone, meaning if our self-talk targets our personhood, who we are, research has shown that it's highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, bullying, eating disorders, etc. Okay? Shame-proneness and addictions are actually so enmeshed that we don't even know which one came first. So it makes a big difference because when one is guilt-prone, meaning that you are, your self-talk focuses more on behaviour, what you're doing right or wrong, and you're like, oh, yeah, maybe I should have done it differently. When you are more guilt-prone, you have the ability to focus on the behaviours and the ability to change behaviours without attacking yourself and your personhood. Does that make sense? This means that the more that you can separate that I am a good person and I have made a bad choice, right? you can see, you can hold those two together in the intention, the more we can make effective changes while avoiding things like addiction, depression, anxiety, violence. So imagine if a child tells you a lie and you shame them by saying, you're a liar. How can you keep telling lies like this? You're a liar. Right? Even something simple, simple like that, right? What happens is that in the child's mind, they will think, if I am a liar, if that's who I really am, then how can I ever change? How do I ever make a different decision or choice if that's inherently who I am? Versus, imagine if you tell the child, you're a good person and you told a lie and that behaviour is not okay in this family or in this community. Right? Do you see the difference? Personhood, behaviour. And this is very closely linked to our spiritual lives as Christians too. Everyone needs a platform of self-worth from which to experience change. You can't shame people into becoming better. You can't shame people into becoming better. And you definitely cannot shame yourself into becoming better. Unfortunately, the church has been very guilty of doing that. Using shame to try and get to people to become better. But that's not how it works. When we see people apologizing, being able to make amends, changing their behavior, that is always around guilt, not shame. So Brene Brown says guilt is not easy because it is cognitive dissonance. When we feel guilty, what happens? Is it comfortable? No, right? There's this uncomfortable feeling within, within us because it creates psychological pain. I have done something that's inconsistent, incongruent with my values or who I want to be. That's what guilt is doing right, for us. So when we apologize for something that we've done, when we make amends, when we change a behavior, guilt is the driving force. We feel guilt when we hold something we've done or failed to do against our own values. We realize that they don't align, they don't match up. It's uncomfortable. But that can be helpful because it's positive 
is positive, socially adaptive experience and change. Of course, I need to pause here you know, to say that feeling guilt for things that we don't have control over, right? feeling guilt or feeling guilty about things that we should not be owning, meaning that it's not your behaviour, but you feel guilty for other people's behaviour, now that's not helpful. Huh? But true guilt motivates meaningful change. It is as powerful as shame, but its influence is positive, while shame's influence is destructive. Right? You see the difference? So I want to ask you this question. Now when you look back, whether it's presently or in the past, what are or were some of your shame-based beliefs that keep you or kept you from drawing close to God? What are, were, some of your shame-based beliefs that keep you or kept you from drawing close to God? So when you talk about shame-based beliefs, you're talking about the beliefs that you had about yourself, your personhood, who you are, what were some of those beliefs that kept you away from God? Were there things that kept you away from God? Being queer, definitely that's a big one, right? That was kind of like the messaging many of us grew up with. And unfortunately, especially if you were religious, if perhaps you were in church, unfortunately, that would have been the messaging you got. Being queer, thinking that I can't love. Sorry, could you scroll to the top? Thank you. God hates sin, right? And by that association, God hates sinners, right? And especially for some reason, uh, LGBTQ people are like the biggest sinners, right? Somehow. Uh, <laughs> so I am something, something, and I ought to whatever, right? Yeah. Think that I can't love. There's something inherently wrong in me and I can't be loved. That is not a behavioral thing alone, right? That's something inherently in us, right? The fact that I'm HIV positive, that I don't experience God in the same real way that others have, mm -hmm. that your experience of God somehow is invalidated or minimized, that I keep failing God all the time, that communion is only for those who are worthy. And that's such a harmful belief and practice, right? My ASD mental disability, yeah, my sexual orientation, just even having sinful thoughts, right? That creates a lot of shame in us. Religious trauma, queerphobic churches in general, yeah. The LGBTQ, just being LGBTQ alone. God must be disappointed when I'm fearful and not faithful. That's so sad, right? Because God totally understands when we are afraid. And God is there, right, in those moments to hold us, to walk with us. That I'm abnormal, I'm sinful for being homosexual, I'm fat. Yeah, fat shaming is a huge thing in our society, in our culture today. Not praying, only the prayers of good people are hurt. 
not knowing if I'm okay in God's eyes, that I'll go to hell for being homosexual, that I am an addict. Hmm. I once believed that I was fundamentally flawed in romantic relationships. It didn't keep me from God, but it took a while for God to work on me and for me to realize it wasn't true. Thank you for sharing that. Others are less deserving than me. That's possible too, right? You may think that it's not just about yourself, but about other people. My negativity, sexual misconduct, I have to be good and perfect. When you're told that you're sinning, when sin is something I didn't choose to do. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all that. And thank you for being willing to put that out there. Because our shame-based beliefs, things that come from shame, takes a lot of vulnerability to be able to say it out, to put it out there. But that's exactly why it's important to do so. Because shame only has power when it's kept in secret. Shame only has power when it's kept in secret. When you're able to put it out there, it actually loses its power. When we're able to say it to someone who cares for us, it loses its power. So for me as a teenager, when I first realized that I was different from my friends, I felt a lot of shame, right? Internally, I thought that God could not accept someone like me. And it was hard not to feel shame because our sexuality, our gender identity, they're not just external behaviours, right, that you can choose or change. They are part of our innate humanity. They are part of who we are. And the voices around me were basically saying that there's something wrong with me internally, innately. And at that time, I believed it. And so I did the most natural thing that one would who is ashamed to do. I ran away from God, right? That's what shame would make us do. But God didn't abandon me. In God's time, God reached out to me and made sure that I understood that there was nothing wrong with me and that I was loved, period. Regardless of what I've done or not done, regardless of what I believed at that time regarding what God thought of LGBTQ people, God loves me. I love you was what I heard the Spirit of God speaking into my heart. And that tore down all the walls of shame that I had put up. And for the very first time in my life, that moment was when I truly understood what, God, what grace actually meant. That God would actually reach down for someone like me. And that just really turned my life around. It made me realize that I didn't have to strive for God's love. That God already loved me just as I was. That somehow I was okay with God and God was okay with me. And the decisions that I made about my life from that moment on would be the byproduct of that love. Does that make sense? It is not to strive for God's love, all the choices that I make, even now serving as a pastor, is not to strive for God's love, but it's a byproduct of God's love for me. As it is a byproduct of God's love for you. 
And that's how love changes us. That's how love truly transforms us. The second word that really stood out to me was compassion. Filled with compassion. And this we see in Luke 15 verse 24. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. When a parent sees the child, he was filled with compassion for him. And this is one Greek word that describes Jesus' emotions most often in the Gospels. Compassion. And compassion literally means to be moved from the very depths of your being in love for someone. To be moved from the very depths of your being in love for someone. In telling this parable, Jesus uses this word to describe the Father because he wants us to understand the depths of God's love for us. By running to his son in the Jewish culture, firstly, fathers never ever run to their son, right? Running is very undignified. Huh? By bearing his legs, okay, because they wear ropes, right? So when they run, their ropes will start to open up, right? <laughs> Flat open, right? The parent has actually made himself incredibly vulnerable socially, culturally, and definitely emotionally. He was running towards someone who had wronged him, someone he really loved in the depths of his being. Imagine if someone you really, really loved rejected you and walked away, took all you had and walked away. That would hurt so deeply, right? And you would never want to make yourself vulnerable again. You'd never want to bear your soul to that person again, right? That would be our natural instinct, right? To protect ourselves. But guess what? The parent in this story runs without any hesitation to the child. The child that rejected him, the child that walked away, and holds him close in his embrace. He took the risk of loving again because he saw the child through eyes of compassion. From afar, he saw the child. You notice that at no point in this story does the parent shame either child, right? Whether the elder child or the younger child, for their problematic attitudes or how they were behaving. He doesn't shame them and go, ah, you ingrate, ah. why you act like that? Ah? Uh. Or to the elder child, no, he doesn't say like, why you so, why are you like that? Huh? Yeah, so proud, huh? look down on your brother. You know, he doesn't say all that, right? In fact, we can almost feel the parents' compassion for each child, both the elder and the younger child. And God's love for us is the same. God's love is non-coercive, non is non-demanding. Is definitely not shaming. And God looks at us through eyes of compassion. God sees us, really sees us, and understands deeply who we are and what we need. And you know, as children of God, we can practice the same compassion with ourselves and one another as well. Remember just now we talked about shame? And we said shame cannot exist when it's spoken out 
to another person, right? The antidote to shame, Bernie Brown says, is empathy. If we reach out and share our shame experience with someone who responds with empathy, shame dissipates. Shame needs you to believe that you're alone. And that's what I felt many years ago. I thought that I was the only one who was so different from all my friends. I'm alone. There's something wrong with me. Empathy is a hostile environment for shame. Self-compassion also helps us move through shame, but we need empathy as well for an important reason. Because shame is a social emotion. Shame happens between people, and it heals also between people. Even if I feel it alone, shame is the way that I see myself through someone else's eyes, right? We feel ashamed because we think about how other people are seeing us. Self-compassion is often the first step to healing shame. We need to be kind to ourselves before we can share our stories with someone else. So will you let God love you? and be compassionate on yourself and others as we share our stories with one another. I think that's the first step towards healing and loving wholeheartedly. And lastly, the father says at the end of the story, you are with me always and all I have is yours. We can be encouraged in this process because God is always the initiator. It's not just up to us to try to do all this by ourselves. God is always the one who runs after us relentlessly like the parent in the story because God knows our primordial shame. People often seem to start with this premise, right? They said, if I behave correctly, I will one day see God clearly. Yet, the biblical tradition says the exact opposite. If we see God clearly, we will behave in a good way. And so Richard Ross says, our right behaviour does not cumulatively lead to our true being. Unfortunately, right, if that's what you've been taught, <laughs> we need to un unlearn that, right? Our right behaviour does not actually accumulate and lead to our true being. Our true being leads to eventual right behavior. So that's what I meant by the byproduct of love, right? That our behavior, our choices, is actually the byproduct of God's love for us. So many of us think that good morality, good behavior will lead to mystical union with God. But in fact, it is us being close to God, is us being united with God that produces that correct behavior, the correct morality, and along, of it, along with it, with a lot of joy. So the greatest surprise is that sometimes a bad moral response or choice results in a very collapsing of our ego that leads to our falling into the hands of the living God. And that's what we see in this parable. That very bad moral choice and response of the younger child led to the collapsing of his ego. And then that led to him falling into the hands of a loving parent.
So imagine, basically, what the parent in the story is saying to the younger child is, you are worthy of love. Regardless of what you've done, you were worthy of love since the beginning. Since I held you in my arms, you were worthy of love. No matter what you've done or not done, you are still worthy of my love. And then to the older child, the parent is also saying, you are worthy of love. Regardless of what you've done, you were worthy of love since the beginning. Since I held you in my arms, you were worthy of love. No matter what you've done or not done, you are worthy of my love. So contrary to what we think, God is just and fair. It is not, God is not unfair. God loves us all, all, with an everlasting love. And you are worthy of love because God looks at you through eyes of compassion. God is with you and God, all that God has is yours. So to you, God, our parent, is saying even today, you are worthy of love. Regardless of who you are, what you've done, you were worthy of love since the beginning of time. Since I held you in my arms, you were worthy of love. Whether you have been striving for love or you chose to walk away from love, God is telling us this. You are worthy of love because I say so. You are worthy of love just because. I created you in love for love. So it is from this place of love, compassion and worthiness that we begin our journey into wholehearted living. Bene Brown says and defines wholehearted living as is about engaging with our lives from a place of worthiness. It means cultivating the courage, compassion and connection to wake up in the morning and think, no matter what gets done and how much is left undone, I am enough. It's going to bed at night thinking, yes, I am imperfect and vulnerable and sometimes afraid. But that doesn't change the truth that I am also brave, that I am also worthy of love and belonging. So today, remember that you are God's beloved child, wholeheartedly worthy of love. You cannot earn or lose God's love no matter what you do or don't do. God loves you period. God is looking at you through eyes of compassion and is waiting to embrace you, to welcome you home. So cease striving. Stop wondering. Just come home. Amen. Let us prepare our hearts and minds for a time of Holy Communion. We gather each Sunday at this table, even though at this time we are all not physically together. The table of God's feast transcends time, 
and space because God's love transcends all boundaries. So this table recognizes no boundaries. Here at FCC, we celebrate an open table. This means that you do not have to meet any criteria. You do not have to be a member of FCC. You do not have to be baptized. You only need to recognize that God's grace is sufficient. When Jesus sat at tables and broke bread with tax collectors, lawyers, rich elites, and poor peasants, he proclaimed that God's radical love and abiding presence knows no bounds. Through these occasions of sharing food, every person experienced God and shared in God's kingdom. A kingdom where all are welcome, all are worthy, and all are invited. A kingdom where lives are transformed and empowered, and the fruits of God's gentle justice bloom throughout creation. All people, including each of us, are invited to share in the sacred meal of celebration and be strengthened by the presence of God in this place. We remember that Jesus fed 5,000 hungry people with five loaves of bread and two fishes. At this miraculous meal, there was such an abundance that everyone ate until they were full, and there were even 12 baskets of food left over. Holy God, we celebrate your abundant care and solidarity revealed in this meal. We remember that while sharing a meal with Pharisees, Jesus welcomed a woman viewed as an outsider. As the woman anointed his feet with oil, Jesus declared her dignity before everyone at the meal. Holy God, we celebrate your gracious inclusiveness revealed in this meal. At these meals, Jesus and all his disciples resisted the divisions, injustice, and violence of society. They lived out instead the kingdom of God, a place of love, justice, and mutuality. But we also recognize that not all people liked Jesus' ministry. For some people, it was scandalous. They he said, said look, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax, of tax collectors and sinners. When his arrest seemed near, Jesus ate a meal in an upper room with the disciples. As he had done so so many times before, he took bread, and after giving thanks to you, holy God, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, this time saying, do this to remember me. After the meal, he shared the wine, gave thanks and said, I will not drink from this cup again until I drink it with you in the kingdom of God. May I invite the stewards to help distribute the elements? For those joining us online, you may like to take this time to prepare your own elements so that we may partake together.
Jesus was then unjustly killed by the systems of domination of his day. To some of his frightened disciples, it seemed that the bread symbolized his broken body and the wine, his blood. God, the kingdom of God persisted and persists today through the many people who seek to be your resurrection community. Holy God, in the sharing of this bread and wine, we joyfully celebrate the hope-inspiring ministry and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us partake of the elements together. Please rise in body and all spirit for the prayer of communion. Together, gracious God, may this meal be for us an Emmaus meal, where we encounter your presence in the sharing of this food, as the disciples did at their meal in Emmaus. May the sharing of this food be a taste of your kingdom, holy God, so we may be strengthened to be your joyful and hopeful disciples. And may we share in your kingdom of love, justice, and mutuality with those around us. Amen. Please be seated. May pass your communion cups to the owls and the stewards who collected.
I wanted to say that when Pauline was reading the parable of the prodigal son, the phrase that came to my mind was hunger. Maybe because I miss breakfast and like I'm looking forward to lunch. But that aside, uh, really I think that uh, when we feel guilt and shame, a lot of times it's because we look outwards to others. That when we see the other, if the other person is straight and I'm not, yeah, I'm not living up to that person's standard. Or if the other person has got work where I'm jobless, then I'm not worthy enough. Or the other person is slim and tall, but I'm short and fat, then I'm not worthy enough. But a lot of times, this kind of uh, comparisons, or even sometimes if we have the wrong idea or the wrong image of God's teachings, we can think that God has got a certain impression and image of who we are to be. And when we fail that, we feel that we are not worthy enough. So I'd like to invite all of you that in whatever uh, position or path that you are in, in your spiritual journey, it is very important to come together as a community so that we may learn from each other, so that we may correct some of our misconceptions. And then so that we can grow together and really, you know, uh, understand what God is calling each of us as individuals to do and also each of us within the community to do. So I'd like to welcome all of you to the Sunday service of Free Community Church, where free stands for first, realize everyone's equal. So no one is better, no one is less. We are all equal. If you're new to FCC, please uh, scan the QR code or leave us your details at fcc.ly slash welcome and some staff will reach out to you. Today we have a newcomers meeting uh, immediately after service at the back of the room. Last Sunday I was not in church because I was visiting another church and then, you know, if you visit a church and then you're a newcomer, they narrow down on you and they say, hey, come do some self-introduction. So it was really very uncomfortable for me as an introvert. So I'm very glad that FCC doesn't do it. But we just hold you captive in the small room and make you do it in that small room, but not, in the, not, not, not publicly. But I still hope that you join us for the newcomers meeting. If you cannot make it today, you can just send an email to info at freecomchurch.org and then you, we, we, we do it hybrid also if, if you cannot join us uh, in person. So I hope to see you at the newcomers meeting later. Next. Uh, now we have come to the collection for the service. I think for FCC to exist, we really have to give thanks to uh, every cent and every effort and every time that each of us have given to make FCC exist to its 20 years. You know that uh, every end of the year, when we look at our budget and then we look at how much, how far behind we are, then we are always under a lot of stress. But this time around, we spread the stress to 12 months of the year because every month we give you an update and then we know, okay, are we ahead, are we behind? But really, regardless, if you truly believe that FCC makes a difference in this world and in this country, that we need FCC to exist, I do encourage you to give generously. You may give to the uh, general fund or to the building fund, and you may give by uh, pay now by scanning the two QR codes, or you may be give by credit card at freecomchurch.give.asia, which uh, charges a 1.5% platform fee, and it only goes to the general fund. So before I call the stewards to come out and take up the offering, for those on the site, uh, let us pray. God, indeed we give thanks to you that you love us and you find us worthy of love regardless. And though it is very difficult to learn this lesson in this world, 
where there's so much comparisons and so much uh, competition trying to run to the front of the line. May you remind us in our daily lives that you are with us always. God, as we continue with our lives and we think that hunger is not a situation that should be happening in this world where food is already so abundant, we do know that people are still suffering from hunger. People in North Korea, people in some of the African countries. And when we look around us, though there may not be obvious hunger, there are still thirsts. People who thirst for your presence and your love. And you have called us to be a community, to be your hands and feet, to be your light, so that others may experience your love through us. God, we lift up everything we have unto you. And we continue to pray for wisdom, for guidance, for strength, to continue in this path to follow you. In Jesus' most precious name we pray and give thanks. Amen. May I now invite the stewards to come forward to take up the offering. If you want to give an offering, you may just raise your hands and the stewards will go towards you. So today we only have got two announcements, so which means I can spend a lot of time talking on the two, about the two announcements. Can we have the first announcement, please? Uh, this is the FCC 20th Anniversary Commemorative Book. We are looking for people to do collages to be included in this commemorative book. Uh, it's open up to cell groups, to ministries. It's also open up to anything that you have associated with FCC. So if you have got two or three friends and then you want to talk about your journey in FCC, how FCC has granted you freedom or how you have served God or how you find FCC as a community or how you uh, have grown in FCC, we welcome you to make a collage so that if chosen, is, is there a... Uh, never mind. I don't know whether there's a standard that the team is going to choose, but never mind. You make it, we'll try to put it into the book for you. So there's actually briefing slides available, so please send an email to info at freecomchurch.org for briefing slides, and please submit your collages by 9th of July 2023. Next. So this is join the production ministry. We need more volunteers. Last Sunday, this slide was taken away because people are saying that Hey, this slide has been out for two months already. La. No need, no need. Everybody will have heard it already. But then, in that two months, we only had two sign-ups. Okay? So the idea is that... Then I was thinking, okay, I need to do something different in order to get more volunteers for this ministry, right? Then, of course, I was thinking, I should guilt and shame you guys. But then, I just heard Pauline's sermon. So that doesn't work. So if I cannot guilt and shame you guys, then what do I need to do? Then I need to... Okay, let's try and... Rally you guys, okay? How to rally? Don't you want to support Gary Chan's vision of having a broadcast? Sunday broadcast to everyone and then of a certain standard given the limited volunteers that we have? Or actually supporting the church vision also. La. It's so important. But I'm not a rara person also. So I cannot rally you guys. Uh, I'll just tell you all the facts, Okay? On average, each of our broadcasts actually attracts like two to four hundred views. Okay, ignoring people who might watch a few times per service uh, broadcast, who I don't know, I, I, I seldom even watch once. But then, 
ignoring those people, you can imagine that it's so important. That's why even after COVID has ended, we did not stop this Sunday broadcast because we know that the broadcast is so important. It's important for people who may not feel comfortable to come to FCC in person until they have an idea what FCC stands for. It's important for those people who have left Singapore, who are now in Australia, in UK, in Ireland, in Philippines, in any other countries that need to watch the service because in their various countries, or they find they may not have this inclusive church community, or they, may, or they may find FCC as their home church. So it is so important for us to have more volunteers for the production ministry. So production ministry includes producer. We only got five producers and one is down already because someone broke his leg. Uh, we need uh, video presenters. Uh, we need visual presenters. We need videographers. We need sound people. So the production ministry is very, very important and we really need your help. Because if not, by the end of 2023, I think some of us will burn out soon. So please uh, come join us if you find this uh, ministry very important. Come join us. You don't need any skills. You don't need anything. We actually, we actually give you a behind-the-scenes look and then you can choose which areas you would like to serve. So uh, do send an email to info at freecomchurch.org if you would like to join us. And then, yeah. Now I'd like to invite Pastor Miak to come and give us the benediction. May I invite you to stand in body or in spirit? Know you are beloved. Beloved beyond imagination. Wonderfully and fearfully made by the God who loves us unconditionally. We have been told we are not worthy because of many, many different things. May you unlearn those things so that you grow, so that you become anchors of love and beacons of hope for others. To know that God loves you. You don't have to come back ashamed, fearful, for God, our parent, will run out to embrace us unconditionally. So go proclaim this gospel truth and go live out this truth in your lives because through your living and your conviction, that will be testifying to love every single day of your life. So go out Proclaim that love and transform the world to be one full of God's justice, God's love and God's light. Go in Christ's name always. Amen. Thank you for joining us this Sunday. We look forward to seeing you next week.